how to keep hope alive when it's tough at work is the title for this, uh, these few minutes this morning. But we could shorten it and broaden the, the focus, how to keep hope alive when it's tough. Just put the period right there when it's tough. I want to ask you to find um, a passage of Scripture with me and as we begin, and then we'll be going to several different ones throughout the Scriptures, and, and I hope that you'll take out, a, take out a pen or a pencil and something to write on and just jot these references down um, as we work our way through them. The, the main point is to convey some relevant passages of Scripture from which the Lord, by His Spirit, is able to encourage us. He's able to help us to remember what he has said. That's another role of the Holy Spirit, is to bring back to our remembrance the things that the Lord has said. And um, it doesn't do a whole lot of good if the only uh, time that we're able to uh, appreciate what the Lord has said is when we have the Bible open and we're looking at it printed, but it's not portable. And that's why this uh, David would say as a, as a young man, uh, how, how shall a young man keep his way pure, uh, but by keeping it according to the word of the Lord. Thy word uh, have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Hiding the word of the Lord in, in our hearts. And, and here, here's a spot that we'll, where we'll start that is just, a, just an important perspective. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose hope. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I, I, I want to I talk to... Um, this part of you that is not the part of you that necessarily goes to work, the outer you. But I, I, wanna, I wanna talk to the deeper you this morning. Paul will say, here's a truth, here is a truth. The visible outer part of us is in an ongoing state of decay or ruin or perishing, the, the outer man. But, but also he goes on to say that everything, everything that can be seen is temporary. And only the things that are invisible that can't be seen are permanent. So there is a part of you and there's a part of me that can be attached to the eternal, the ones that, the, the, part, the things that will not go away. But there is a part of us, that outer part of us, the outer man, the outer woman, that is attached to the things that are destined 
to go away, to pass from the scene. Over the years, over 40 years or so of, of being involved in pastoring churches in, in different places, Shirley and I, over, over those years, it, it's been amazing to me to notice how some things, maybe it's a business partnership between two lawyers or two uh, entrepreneurs, two investors, or, or maybe it will be... Um, a company that, that, has been, that has been formed um, and it, it has uh, sizable funding and it's been able to build um, large centers, large retail outlets in different places. Um, maybe it's a, a banking industry with, with all of the various aspects where, where it seems as if when you look at them or when you hear the people involved in those, in those entities discuss and speak of the present and the future, it, it seems as if those businesses, those partnerships are destined to last forever. That I mean, I mean the, the, the sun will never cease to set on those kinds of arrangements when the reality has been that over the passing of time, just in this, in this, this small view that, that Shirley and I might be able to, to have on what we have seen, it is absolutely the truth that what is seen, what is visible, is temporary. It, it doesn't matter what the name is on the company. It doesn't matter what the last name or the first name is of the individual that the, the, the names on office doors, titles, even the, the business entity itself can just go away or just shrink and almost go away. The, the point of that is that if I've got my hope that, that which makes me want to get, get up in the morning, that, that which gives me joy about life. If my hope in this deepest part of who I am is tied solely to something that I can see and touch and quantify measurably in the empirical realm, if that is where my hope is set, I am setting myself up for a failure and a disappointment. I don't care who you work for. It doesn't matter how long the business has been in operation. The word of the Lord is going to be found true and every man will be found a liar, the scripture says. And the word of the Lord says that everything you can see is temporary. Only the things that cannot be seen, only the things that are those invisible realities, the truths of God that are unseen are permanent. So. If, if we're going to keep hope alive in tough work situations, some way or another, by the help that God can give us through his spirit, we've got to be able to detach our hope away from just the things that can be seen or heard or felt. Though we are blessed by those things and we, we want those things to continue in a positive way toward us, but my hope has got to be anchored and settled in something deeper than the attaboys we get from the company. Yeah. 
than the good jobs or the promotions or the dollar. Those things are fine, but folks, it's destined to change. Let me give you some things about you that are not going to ever change. If you let these things in, as we talk about that 18-inch drop, there's something about just massaging these and embracing these and pondering these things and saying, Lord, did you really mean that about me? And you let these things in and it can, you can be working for the sorriest boss. You can be working in the most profane organization. You can, be, you can know that things are, are, are liable to just the business, liable to go up belly this year, belly up this year, not sure how long anything's going to last. And even through all of that mess, all of that, that emotional trauma, there can still come to rise up within you and be greater than those things of angst and concern. There can be a sense of joy and there can see them to be a sense of peace. And there can flat be a sense of hope. That even when everybody else is going crazy, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Somewhere down in deep inside of you, you know that it, 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 there, there may be trouble and there may be difficulty. And I'm not sure what, but it, it's not going to get out of the control of my father's hand. Because I know who I am to him. So I want to speak for a few minutes this morning. And we'll come back to it maybe next week and the week after that. To, to, to talk to this to this hidden person, this, this, this deeper you than just the you that sits at a desk or the you that answers the company phone or the you that will make the, the calls, the service calls, the deeper you, the deeper you that can get it, that the outer is perishing. But Lord, you're able, you're able to cause the inside of me to be being renewed, made fresh, made strong day by day. Now, folks, when Paul wrote this, he wasn't writing this from the, from the top seat, the high priest seat in the Sanhedrin, that, that religious group in Jerusalem that, that, that meted out the directives to the people trying to follow the religious tradition. He wasn't at the head of any religious order. He, he wasn't seated as a senator in the Roman Senate in, in Rome. He had practically lost everything. He was thought of by those who had raised him and, and taught him as being an outcast, as being, as being a lunatic. But he's the one who said, I'm telling you, listen, right now, the God of hope, the God of all hope is able to fill you up with joy and peace in believing so that you may abound, you may overflow, you may exude, you may radiate, you may effervesce hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody who's at the top of the heap, anybody who has all bills paid, all needs met, no measurable difficulty within sight, anybody like that can say I'm full of hope. That's not the test of hope. Hope is when the bottom has fallen out, or hope is when it's threatening to fall out. And still, somehow, you got two things working, and they're combined in that word. You've got a desire, you have a wish, and you also have an expectation that what you've been wishing for and hoping for is going to happen. That's hope. The test of hope is when there's nothing buttressing that emotion in the natural, but you still got it. You still have it. 
and it keeps you going, and it keeps the energy rising and flowing within your heart. I'm going to say this again. Paul describes your heavenly Father, he describes the God as the God of hope. The God who, who fosters that kind of emotion. The God who exhibits that kind of emotion. And here he says, it's the God who imparts that kind of emotion. So listen, you, you say, well, it's gonna get, I'm going to feel like i got more hope when this changes. Or when she straightens up. Or when he comes back home. Or when that idiot leaves the company. None of those things may ever happen. But God is still able to overpower those negative emotions and fill you up with a surpassing and overwhelming sense of, I'm not crazy, I'm trusting my God. And what God is going to do, God will do. What you see and what you hear is temporary. But what you can't see with the natural eye or necessarily hear with that audible canal called your ear. That's what's, that's what's permanent. All right. So how do we in these tough places get this deeper you renewed? I, I want to list for you three or four things. Before I do that, we're going to, instead of me listing it, let's look at the scripture. How about that? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we would be, we would become holy. And remember that word for holy, it means free. So that we would be free from sin's domination and from Satan's contamination and control. That we should be holy or free and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, as daughters, sons, daughters, family, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. In other words, when he thought about you, he didn't immediately have to deal with anger. He didn't have to go to an anger support group when your name came up. Now, this is before we were ever born. This is before you ever kicked in your mother's womb. This is before anybody on this earth ever named you. This is before anybody knew what street address you would have. You were chosen, picked out, wanted, and adopted before you were ever born, before anybody ever knew you. God knew you before your company ever hired you. God chose you because he wanted you, 
so badly that he made arrangements for you to be brought into the family with all the legal privileges of full adoption through what Jesus did for you before you ever got called to the principal's office the first time in the sixth grade. He knew what he was getting when he got you. Warts and all. Your sins did not surprise him. There's nothing that you or I would ever do wrong that would cause him to change the will and eliminate our name. You say, how do you know that? Because the word of the Lord says so. I was chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world in him, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now what does that mean? That, that indicates that God knew ahead of time that we would choose sin in our earthly lives before we would choose him. We would give Satan because of our choosing of sin and deciding to go our own way and thumbing our nose at what's right in the plan of God and the, and the, and the, the writings of God as to what is right in his sight. He knew that's what we would choose, but he fixed it up. He made a plan so that even our sins, when we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, not even our sins would cut us off from the favor of God and the pleasure of God and the mercy of God and the future of God for our lives. Not even sin. Now Satan will get in, you know, off to the right and in the background and say, well, you did this and you did that and you did that. And it's like the Lord could be saying, devil, would you just tell me something I don't know? I already know that. And the blood of my son Jesus on the cross with David Walker on his heart, put your name in there. He went to that cross in my place, in your place. He didn't die for somebody else's sins. He died for my sins. And your sin. Listen, when, you, when that drops 18 inches and that begins to work in your heart and you realize that there is nothing about you that can surprise your loving Heavenly Father. Nothing. And that He chose you anyway. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross was to take care of before we ever sinned any of them, before we ever made the wrong choices, God had set in place a plan 2,000 years ago so that my sins would be forgiven in advance by his death. And when I turn my life to him, when I turn to Christ, this is why it's such a powerful thing. Folks don't get it. They say, well, what's the big deal about praying to receive Christ into your heart? What's the big deal about receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord? Here's what it is. It's the power that death has to cause things that want to live in us that are wrong, but the power of his death to impose death upon those areas so that I, I don't have to be a slave to him anymore. I don't have to be dictated to by that. Jesus Christ died for my sins, and when he died on the cross, he died to the, to the power of sin to hold a life and to keep me enslaved. So I received the death of Jesus Christ as my own, but... Oh my goodness, I receive 
the resurrected from the dead, back from the death and back from hell, the resurrected life of Jesus. And he lives in me. He lives in me. He lives in me. And it's the voice of the sons going off in my heart, crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's, that's the cry of the one who 18 inches, this is all dropped. He chose me because he wanted me, knowing everything I'd ever do wrong or even the things that would please him, few though they may be, before we come to know the Lord. He chose me because he loved me. Chose me because he wanted me. And I may get, but see here, I'm going back to this hope in a difficult job situation. They may not want you anymore. Don't, don't raise your hand. If you say, preach it, preacher, that's what. <laughs> they may not, well, they may change the, the lock on your office door. They may change your name, the name plate out front. They, they, they may just, just kick you through the goalpost of life. Be done with you. But here's what your father says. I'm a God who has the power, who has the authority to cause all things to work together for good in my child's life, who loves me and who is called according to my purpose. That, that's the temporary talk. That's the temporary dealing with us. But the voice from eternity says, it ain't over yet. Now, I don't, I'm sure the Lord doesn't necessarily say it like that. But, but that's what we hear. That's what we're designed to hear by the work of the Spirit of Jesus in our hearts. It may be over as far as some particular job assignment or role might be. But it isn't over between you and your heavenly Father. Let, let, let that in. I, I am... I was chosen in Christ because I was wanted. And I was chosen and I've been adopted into the family of God. Now, all this temporary brick and mortar, all this glass and all of this, this digitized material, it's material. It will fade away. It's in the state of perishing. But that which I can't see is who I really am. And I hold to that. My hope is in the fact that I have been chosen because I was wanted because I was already loved before my mother ever held me, my father ever blessed me or whatever he would do that would, that would convey affection. Before any of that, I was known and loved and chosen and adopted by what Jesus would do in my behalf into the family. That won't change. Let me tell you something else that won't change. Is his heart... <laughs> It's his heart to want to bless you. It's the father's heart to want to bless his children. Now, I suspect that when the children decide, along with Shirley, what they're going to put on my tombstone, if there is such a thing, if the Lord doesn't come first, I suspect that it's going to be Deuteronomy 28. 
So I want you to go ahead and just read with me what I expect to be on my tombstone. Deuteronomy 28. This is his heart. This is a father's heart for you. Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments which I command you today, Moses speaks, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, speaking to Israel, on their way into their inheritance, the land of promise. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Come upon and overtake is the opposite of aim at and chase. You get that? The Lord is saying, you just honor me. You just focus on me. You just do your best to live your normal life to honor me. And here's what I'm going to do. I will cause blessings. And he's going to list the various types of them, or some of the types. I will cause blessings that come from me to chase you down, catch you, overtake you, and be found all around you. You won't have to chase them. It's in my heart to bring them to you. The blessings, the blessings, not the punishment, not the cursings, not the disciplinings. It's his heart to want to bless you. Now, now folks, listen. If all your world is is just this audible yeah-yeah of a, of, of a hard and difficult job situation, the opposite of what you're hearing is that they want to bless you. So who you listen to? Who are you going to make your choice to speak into the deepest part of who you really are? It's not saying that there won't be challenges and there won't be. In fact, he'll say, when the enemies come out against you one way, I'll deal with your enemies and I'll route them seven ways. So it doesn't say that there won't be challenges. And the fact that there would be opposition and there would be enemies, so to speak, arrayed in front of us does not mean that we've missed God or that we're not where the Lord would want us to be or that somehow... He doesn't care about us. It's one of his ways to show, I'm for you. When somebody touches you, they touch the apple of my eye. They need to learn that. And you need to know that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. His heart is to bless. His heart is to defend. His heart is to surround you to surround us with the sense of his presence, even when we're also in the press presence of enemies, even when we're in the middle of complicated financial situations. I want to show you, I want you to know that I'm there, that I'm there, that I'm there. But again, folks, you understand, there's, there's, the, there's the deeper you that has to just rise up sometimes and tell the outer you to just hush your mouth. I'm not listening to you. Because you're saying the same things that all these temporary things are saying. But when I read in my Bible and I'm hearing what the invisible is saying, the eternal is saying, I'm making my choice on this Monday morning. 
as to who I'm going to listen to. Now, you can endure work. You, 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 can, you, you can work your way through it in a sense and just, just kind of get through it. Or you can go through with this sense of hope rising up in your heart. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how can I just cope through a bad job. I'm talking about how you can live with joy. How you can walk with hope in the middle of a terrible work situation. You can, you can, when your hope is set on the right things. Blessed shall you be the offspring of your body, the produce of your ground, so forth. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come out, when you go in. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise up against you to be defeated before you. They'll come out against you one way, will flee before you seven ways. The Lord, here we go again. <laughs> I just love this. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. His heart is to bless you. His heart is to bless the work of your hand. Now, whether the company sees and believes that and feels that about you, that is your father's heart. And, and let me give you this other important uh, little passage right here, Colossians chapter 3. You say, well, how, how in the world can I, could the Lord bless a company as sorry as mine is? And, and, and it's, just, it's just a bad deal, Pastor. Well, try this one on for size. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Paul is writing to the Christians in this community called Colossae. And in that Christian community, in that group of churches, evidently there were, there were folks who were literally slaves. They were not just indentured servants or, or employees. They were bought and owned human beings who had come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now notice what he says to them. Slaves, verse 22. In all things... Obey those who are your masters, look, on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing or respecting the Lord. Whatever you do, now the context is slaves. They're not getting paid a dime for what they do. Whatever you do, you do your work heartily. You do your work with all your heart as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Now that's talking about something in another dimension and far beyond the immediate context of that slave and the slave's master and the assignment on a day-to-day, night-to-night basis. And then this powerful line, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So even, even if it's a bad boss, even if it's, a bad, if it's a bad company, but it's a place that the Lord has put me into, that's my place of work. The work, what I'm struggling with this a little bit to try to say it right. The work that you do 
for imperfect people, the job assignment that you have, all of a sudden, when you understand who truly gets the benefit of your labor is not the imperfect person, but the Lord Christ, then everything you do in the direction of assignments for the imperfect people is sanctified, is somehow made an offering of praise to the Lord who you serve. I'm in here by myself. That, 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 that's where everything changes. It's when you realize I'm not just working for the man, but in this assignment that God has me in in this place, I'm working for the Lord. Now look, if that sounds corny to you, then I can, I can just pretty much promise you, if that sounds corny to you and unfeasible and impossible, I can almost guarantee you you're headed for a hopeless existence in that job, whatever that job is, wherever it is. If you're struggling with hopelessness, but somehow the Lord just, he just shines this light of, word, of, of his word into our situation. He says, look, I don't want you to see it as just working for men. I want you to see it as honoring me with what you're doing down there. It's a way to take something that is temporary and bring it into the realm of the eternal. I'm not just working for the master in an earthly sense. I'm serving the Lord Christ, which means, folks, listen, when Joseph was bought as a slave, his destiny was one way, one day to be that prince of Egypt. He would be, he would be right, under, right under Pharaoh. But way before that, in preparation for his ultimate destiny, he was a slave. But you read in Genesis, that, that account in Genesis 39 and, and, the, and the, the following chapters, it just talks about how even though he was a slave, he worked well. He served his master with integrity and with honesty and responsibility. And his master, unbeliever, Moses is a, or, or, or Joseph is away from home. He's, he, he, nobody, nobody but God himself knew where Joseph was. Joseph could have checked out on morality. He could have checked out on excellence. He could have checked out on any of the things that would cause there to be the, residue, the, the representation of character in a life, but he didn't. It was as if somehow he knew that he wasn't always going to be a slave. So he began to operate as though he would be in another form, in another dimension one day. He didn't know when, but he understood the dreams that God had put in his heart. That one day he would be in a place of responsibility and the dream never died even though he was sold into slavery. But here's my point. He worked, he worked well, he worked hard, he worked with integrity. And the ones over him that one in particular, Potiphar, saw what he was doing 
recognized the quality of the character of the man and eventually elevated him to be se- being second only to Potter for the head of the household as far as the realm of the household operations went. Then, then that thing, Potiphar's wife came after Joseph and he, and, he, and he ran from her advances and she turned on him. Remember that story? And he ends up in jail. So we, I mean, he, he ain't moving on up. He's just getting farther in the hole. He goes from being a slave to now being a prisoner. But even in the prison, the excellence of his character, the, the, the serving that he did to take care of other people and to, and to act in a responsible manner such that the, that, that the jailer noticed that. And just like Potiphar had done, the jailer starts turning the whole jailhouse over to him. Thank you very much. Why? It's because Joseph somehow understood he wasn't serving Potiphar and he wasn't just serving that jailer but he was serving the God who was bigger than slavery and bigger than the jailhouse. And he was with him every step of the slave's step, every step of the prisoner's step. And one day that same God would walk him every step into the right hand of Pharaoh himself. Now folks, listen, you, you don't, you don't, we don't learn these things in the land of plenty. We don't learn these things or these, these attributes that the Lord wants to work in our hearts and know, we don't know these things when it's all smooth sailing. We're gonna learn these things when it is, a, it is a stark choice. Trust God or listen to that noise. Obey God, please Him, or go with just what those around me or saying, if it feels good, just do it. Who are you? Where are you? What's it, what does it matter anyway? But Joseph is an example and others that we could name. They were locked into the reality that it is the invisible that is permanent. The visible, the material is temporary no matter how much granite, how much marble, how much steel is in the structure. It is all temporary. I will not sell my soul to that which is temporary. But I've given my heart to the one who chose me, who called me, who has me right where he wants me to be, even though it's a difficult place, maybe for now. It's a season. It's a season. And my God is the Lord over all the seasons. Psalm 37, 4, we spent some time on this the first day of the year. Here's, here's what David learned. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Make the Lord your chief joy. Make the, but, but again, as we said, there's got to be some things delightful about him in order for us to want to delight, but we want to eat more. It's a banquet word. It's a, it's, a, it's a meal word. Gorge yourself with the Lord, the things of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And folks, listen, if, if the conclusion is he's, he's mad at you and, he, and you've disappointed him so badly that you can never rise up and, and there's never any way to earn any kind of blessing for him, if, if that's what's operating, then that you just won't be delighting yourself in the Lord. You'll be trying to, try, if you have to talk to him, you'll be backing in this way or, or, or trying to introduce yourself to the Lord when you talk to him. 
instead of realizing that there is nothing about you that surprises him. He's God. He knows everything. You say, well, what about the stuff I'm yet to do? Well, does that, does that mean that's something he doesn't know yet? No. He knows you. He knows your strength. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where to position you and put you so that there can be influences brought to bear in your life so that the things that need to be created in your character and in your responses have an opportunity to develop. So, why the tough places? The problem with tough places is we seem to be stuck in them, right? And, and the scripture said, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But it, also, but it also says, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. And he, the Lord, delights in their way. So that if the man stumbles or the woman stumbles in whose steps the Lord is delighting, he or she will not be cast headlong because the Lord is the one who grabs them by the hand, who takes them by the hand. So what in the world must the Lord be delighting in in these steps I'm walking? through this tough job. Steps of a man, woman, ordered by the Lord. He delights in the way. How can he be delighting in this stuff, in this day, in this season? I want to just offer you this passage and make a couple of comments, and then we're going to have to quit and come back next week. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. All the commandments, verse 1, that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. This is the generation that has survived the wilderness, Israelites. They were either too young when they came out of Egypt to register decision, a decision at the Kadesh Barnea matter when they, the spies came and reported that what they saw and 10 said we can't make it, two said we can, the majority went with the 10 and as a result they wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years and an entire generation died off. This is the generation that was too young to be a part of that decision or they were actually born in the wilderness. These are the ones who are going to go in to possess the land. The Lord will say, I'll show you what I'll do with the children you were afraid you would lose if you went in, if you trusted me and went in to take the land. Those are the very ones who will take your places and who will possess what should have been yours. I'll give it to them. It's to that group that Moses is speaking for the Lord. These things I'm commanding you today that you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply to go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. The devil didn't lead you. You aren't there by your own devices. I led you 
into the wilderness. And folks, listen, here's something real important. We need to understand God can lead us into a wilderness for a season of time. It's not the devil. It's not just a bad mistake on our part. God has designs on our lives with specific seasons of particular types of wilderness experiences because he has a further purpose in mind than just the wilderness season in our lives. But we will never get to the inheritance part, we'll never get to the possessing possessing of the promises part unless we are willing to go through the wilderness with him. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you, not testing in the sense of testing to to see if you'll fail, but proving you, proving the metal that is within you, your heart, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The wilderness was for the purpose of proving to these that they would keep the commandments of the Lord, that they would obey him. He humbled you and he let you be hungry and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. He wanted you to understand that when he gives you a promise, it is a certainty. It it will become a reality. It is something that you can live your life on the basis of and risk the, the lives of your children and loved ones on the basis of as well. That which is more reliable than bread of man, bread, normal bread, that which is more reliable than bread is a word from the Lord. And you don't learn that. You don't learn that in the land of plenty. When God is all you have, when God is all you have, it's then that we can learn he is all we need. But as long as there are other options, we keep chasing the flesh and we keep chasing the other options. But he's saying here, you, you came to realize that when all you had was a promise from me, you came to realize that I would be good on that promise. I fed you. They started, your clothing didn't wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Not punishing you as a man punishes his son, but training you, shaping you, equipping you. Toning you, stretching you, yes. Pushing you at times, yes. But just like a father trains his son, I've been training you. Why? Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you'll eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you will dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. The Lord 
knew where he was taking them. But they had to be prepared. It's in the wilderness that it establishes the truth about who's in charge. When they could have checked out and gone another way, they chose to follow the Lord. There's some of you are staying in the, in the tough place you're in because somehow you feel like the Lord led you there. Somehow you feel like the Lord put you there. And it was one thing for he's provided for you in that place. You, you've, had, you, you've been able to pay your bills. You've been able to make do. You've been able to do it. It hadn't been easy going, but even in that place, he's, he's helped to take care of you. You are staying where you're staying because it's settled in your heart. God, I'm not moving until I know it's you. This may be difficult, but somehow there's your provision. Somehow I sense your presence. I ain't budging until you tell me it's time to go. You're not going to learn that anywhere other than your personal wilderness. Hold on to that. Good. It, it also, the wilderness will also prove the character of the deeper you. That verse would say to see whether you would obey him or not. Have, have, have you ever noticed how easy it is to sin in the wilderness? How easy it is to just check out on God. Oh, what's the use? What's it all about? What difference is it making anyway? I mean, nobody sees anything. I've been here for, been, I've been, been in this wilderness for 40 years and you know, I'm, it just not doing me any good. I get to hearing all those voices. But then the deeper you, the deeper you, say, but I want to honor my God. No matter if nobody's looking, no matter if it pays off, I want to honor him because I believe if I honor him, he'll honor me. Boy, we need some t-shirts with that on it. You honor God and he will honor you. You honor him, especially in the places when you're being pulled to dishonor him. Especially when voices are saying things and, and it's just been so long, it's been so hard. But let the spirit of the living God just, just write this across that deeper you. You honor God and he will honor you. These people, just like with you and me, we don't know what the next season will bring in the plan of God. We don't know what he knows. But what is the truth? is that he picked us out, he chose us because he wanted us, and he wants to bless, he desires to bless. And, and, and when we honor him, that grants great freedom for him to bring the measure of honor that he wants to bestow upon us. The wilderness also accomplishes the ability to wait, to wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. And I mentioned to you earlier that, that which happened with Joseph. It's that, it's that matter of diligence, the matter of excellence, that even when it just doesn't seem like even anybody even notices or that there's not any strong reason as to do something to, still just that within my heart, I want to do it right. I want to give the best that I have. You see that, that that's why even if your bosses, even if your superiors don't, don't, they're not recognizing the quality of your work or they're trying to make it a selfish deal where they're getting credit. Not even you're, you're buried somewhere down in the stack. 
That, that, that can be a great disheartening thing. But, but when you realize that everything you're doing with your hands, everything on a keyboard, everything with your brain that's manifested out on your hands, something you do, you write, you make, the Lord's heart is to bless the work of your hands. And, and his, his heart is for, for you to know that he's right there, that he sees it, that it matters to him, that he's pleased that you're honoring him. So that when the time comes and the season for wilderness is over and the season for fulfilled promises is at hand, you're ready. You're ready. When the one who holds the keys of David sets before you an open door which no man can close because you have a little power, but because you have kept his word and because you have not denied his name, when the time of the open door comes, you will have hope so alive in your heart because it's been alive all along. It's been working all along. It hadn't been tied to the visible or the natural or the things that are passing away. It's been tied this way. And the flow of the river of that hope keeps refreshing you and keeps you going in your work so that with excellence and even with joy and with compassion, you're tending to people around you. You're a blessing where you are. Then when the door of greater opportunity comes for you, you walk through it. Not because you're looking for retirement, but because you're looking for a fresh mountain to climb for the glory of God. How to keep hope alive when it's tough at work. The next Sunday, I just feel like the Lord may take us into a place where we're we're looking at it from this perspective. Not the tough place at work because it's tough on me, but a tough place at work because of the people that I work with. Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, before you came to know the Lord, were positively affected by someone who did know the Lord at the place that you worked or in the business realm? Would you raise your hand? Raise them up. Okay. You can see now, looking back on it, that God had those people in your life. What if now you are that person? What if, listen to this, what if from an eternal perspective, from the things that will matter throughout eternity, that which is infinitely more important than how difficult the working environment may be for you, that which is infinitely more important is the person, the people, whose broken hearts you've come to know. 
the relationships that you have that you wouldn't have if you weren't working there. And then this question, how much is a soul worth? How much is the soul of that coworker, the soul of that client, the soul of that boss worth? Then the last few days out in the middle of nowhere, which most of you know I love to get away to at least for a day or so and in a week. I found myself standing some cliche underneath a pole that had a light on it out in the middle of proverbial nowhere. But there was a circle of men around that pole. And one of those men was a recently installed Texas Ranger. Not the baseball team, but the other one the organization that was founded in 1823. He had been at the invitation of a friend there. The full-on law enforcement, top of his game, demeanor. But the deeper you him was a recent divorce and a five-year-old boy that was no longer a part of the home. You look at him from the outside, the badge, the starched everything, the Stetson, the pistol, the whole deal, and you temporary Temporary, because you could see it. But what you couldn't see was a broken heart. And I just said, could we pray before we go? He said, yes, sir. And I, this is like you, this happens with you. You'll just feel like in some of the strangest situations, some of the, some of the non-church kind of settings, that, that the Jesus in you is just, is just reaching out to that one right there. Had no prior knowledge of him whatsoever. I just felt like we needed to pray. We prayed, and I don't remember what we prayed. But here's, here's the deal. Folks, there was a sense of the presence of the Lord on that cliche in the middle of nowhere underneath that light pole out in the middle of nowhere, there was as much the sense of presence there as I feel in this room with you Sunday after Sunday. The real Jesus is not limited to a church setting. This is the halftime. The game is out there. And that man texted the mutual friend who had him there and just said, you know, I just, thanks. But he said, that that time when we prayed around that light pole, that just, some things seemed better after that. 
may never see him again, may never have another connection. But the reason I was in South Texas at that moment was for the soul of that Texas Ranger. The reason you're sitting next to somebody, the reason you've got them in there in your contacts on your phone, the reason you've got some kind of way to communicate is because if you're following Jesus, he's causing you to become a fisher of men and women, a fisher of people, which means we love them, we pray for them. If they ask questions, we try to answer it, but we just point them to Jesus. So we'll talk some more about that next week. Who do you know? Who do you know who could be the the main reason that you got that sorry job? What if it isn't about you, but it's about the worth of that soul?